Thank you for your company once again. We are continuing our series uh, looking at education, Education Vision 2020. So the state of education in uh, Australia, uh, the state of Queensland, uh, we've been focusing in those areas and um, looking at where it is now and where it's headed to. Education is very, very important. There's a lot of research that's out there that says very, very clearly that for an individual that's well-educated, they're going to enjoy a more prosperous life, probably a longer life, definitely have more opportunities presented to them. But that's also true for a country too, a country that has a um, well-educated people. Uh, that country is set to be far more prosperous as well. And if you look at the countries around the world, they do put a lot of emphasis and investment into their education. And Australia is no different to that. But to have a chat today, we have Lee Walker-Franks. Now, Queensland Chapter President, uh, Organisational Board Member and Fellow of Educate Plus. So we're going to find out about the organisation. But first and foremost, let's find out about Lee Walker-Franks. Lee, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Yeah, good. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, Originally I trained as a teacher, so economics, business studies, and found that I loved working in schools, particularly the older intergenerational uh, type schools with that lovely history and alumni, Um, but worked out that for me my heart was more in helping them develop. So um, did some postgrad study and, and moved over to working in the not-for-profit business side of schools. Yeah, so on your, uh, your day-to-day, what does that look like <laughs> from the school perspective? Because we're talking with you more in relation to Educate Plus and we're going to explore that. Yes. But you are not removed from uh, schools on a daily basis either. No, I haven't been removed from a school (laughs) for many, many years, Uh, whether it's been in the classroom. I have two grown-up sons, so I've been a parent um, as well and president of the PNF and and all of those sorts of roles. Um, My current role is director of community engagement, uh, which is sort of the friend-raising side, but I'm also the executive officer um, of the BBC Foundation, so the the fundraising side. So, um, yeah, very much uh, day-to-day in in a school but working with the whole entire community. So uh, all of the current parents, um, the old boys, um, we're even branching out to having alumni parents and alumni staff uh, as well. So, uh, yeah, very much part of the day-to-day of a school. (laughs) Oh, that's terrific. And we are looking at, uh, you've mentioned change uh, in engagement and, you know, alumni. Uh, Let's look at the uh, Educate Plus for a a bit. What what is the organisation all about? Can you explain it to a listener that's maybe never heard of it before? Yeah, sure. Um, So about 13 years ago when I did make that change from the teaching side to the um, non-teaching side, um, the organisation then was called ADAPE which stood for something like uh, (laughs) Alumni and Development Association for Professionals in Education. And um, about 10 years ago or so, we rebranded to Educate Plus because um, people could pronounce it and uh, it became a lot clearer that we were all of those roles that support education in educational institutions. So admissions, marketing, communications, alumni and development, development being fundraising. Um, So uh, I was immediately sort of told, oh, well, you need to, you've got a membership with Educate Plus um, and you need to get involved because they will support you in uh, your growth and development. So I did and I received two very different mentors. These two gentlemen could not be more different in every way and that helped me really find my way of going about um, helping the school develop. And uh, so uh, I now see it as my opportunity to, to give back and so I'm quite heavily involved now that I'm what's called a fellow or a senior practitioner. 
And through your uh, giving back through Educate Plus, can you tell us a little bit about why a school may want to, like you had your experience, but in general terms today, why would a school get involved in Educate Plus? Yeah, definitely. Um, I explain it from the point of view of that um, when you're a teacher, you are part of a faculty and uh, so you you have your um, tribe within the the larger tribe. Um, But for people working in our roles, um, there can be one of them, particularly in the younger um, schools that uh, perhaps the admissions person is is also the, the principal's PA yes. and um, is asked to juggle, you know, some major events like speech night and can you throw out a bit of uh, uh, advertising and marketing and and haven't even thought about maybe starting an alumni program yet. Um, and so... Uh, Joining an association uh, such as ours means that you're, you, you find your people and your tribe. Um, it also means that um, it's advantageous to, to the school because these people in these roles don't have to start from scratch. They don't have to reinvent the wheel. So um, uh, throwing out uh, an email to the membership to sort of say, does anybody have a, a policy on this or what's your template for that? Um, we're thinking about doing X. Has anybody gone down that path? Uh, what are your good, bad and ugly stories around, around that? So it's very collegial. Um, obviously, we promote and have awards and, and uh, professional development to um, show best practice. Um, and again, we're just um, willing to share so that other people can take away from it whatever they like and within their own school culture, turn it into something wonderful. And how important is it, um, you're talking about Educate Plus being an external organisation that the school interfaces with, in your experience, how many times have you had a school that's come maybe to Educate Plus for the first time, they've tried to do things internally <laughs> and it becomes like this world and they think everything happens inside that but then they reach out to Educate Plus or it might even be the other way around and then they go, hang on a second, yeah. why didn't we do this earlier? Yeah, look, all the time. Um, we actually had our Queensland chapter um, end of year PD and we married it with our very quick little AGM and then Christmas lunch. And, um, yeah, there were a couple of brand new schools that had never engaged with Educate Plus before and they just sort of said, you know, we need help because I'm the only person across these two or maybe three roles um, and we've just heard great things uh, from other people that we really need to reach out to this professional network because we'll just get so much back um, from being involved. And, yeah, we're happy to just meet people wherever they uh, are at the moment and um, they can request uh, a mentor um, and uh, just yeah, engage with that process as, as much or as often or as little as they want and need um, and just take it from there. So, You mentioned that you've got a role with BBC or Brisbane Boys College um, but also with Educate Plus. That means that you don't just see the perspective from in, inside one school, it's many schools. And I believe that's not even just from within the state of Queensland, it's also across Australia and even the world. Where's the state of education, the way that you see it uh, in this country at the moment? Oh boy, that's, yeah. a, really, that's a really big question. Um, so I've been uh, living in Queensland now for six and a half years. Um, and pre- prior to that, I, I grew up uh, in Sydney. So I worked yeah, right. at a number of schools in Sydney and I was on the New South Wales ACT uh, Board of Educate Plus when I was down there. So um, I guess an, another advantage f- for me and people that get involved, yeah. volunteer at this level, 
is the the, the networks that uh, you really make uh, as well. So that I have incredible people that um, I have access to um, uh, as well. But um, uh, so it gives you also access to so many other schools because people are having these genuine confidential conversations with you about what's going well in their school um, or university. So we have universities and residential colleges as well. Right. Um, so it's it's all of us working in these advancement roles in the education sector. Um, so, uh, yeah, so you get an insight into um, bigger isn't always better um, and how universities uh, run and are, are big beasts and then you've got residential colleges that are somewhere in the middle, the, the young adult boarding schools, <laughs> really. Yeah. Um, so the state of education at the moment, well, in Queensland, obviously, the big change is yeah. about to you know, move over to the ATAR um, system. Um, but I guess from my perspective and the role I play now, it's, it's all about that um, community engagement and um, when the change comes through, um, we will continue to promote the good stories, we will continue to, um, I guess, I engage with old boys to come in and help in whatever aspects that um, we require some expertise and we will just continue to, to move forward and I think um, that's what all the schools just need to remember, that we're all in the same boat um, and, uh, you know, life will not end uh, because the ATAR system is coming in. Um, particularly this year, of course, have been the sort of guinea pig yeah. year that have had um, all of the changes throughout their whole career, but they're all in the schooling career, but they're all in the same boat. But you can sort of talk <laughs> with an interesting authority and a perspective because you've come from the New South Wales yep. into Queensland and the time frame's not that, uh, you know, far apart that... Mm -hmm. You would have seen that system and really Queensland, it does it feel like, oh, Queensland's catching up with New South Wales from some sort of perspective? Um, look, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say catching up. Yeah. Um, there's pros and cons with both systems. I think the really important thing is um, in the six and a half years that I've been here, year seven has come into being part of secondary school. Yes. And, and I see that as, and the ATAR system as being along the lines of, um, you know, I, I read not long ago that apparently uh, the, the rail system in Australia for many, many, many years, it didn't connect because they were different sizes yeah, or something. Yeah, that's right, and different gauges. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yep. don't quote me if this isn't for the whole of Australia right now, but most of them were different. Yeah, Queensland um, and New South Wales is different, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and so I, I see this very much um, with Queensland now having prep, um, so what New South Wales calls kindergarten, um, prep being part of big school, um, going all the way through to year 12, and the ages to aligning um, because uh, just so many incredibly young people in Queensland were finishing school at you know, a very delicate age. Um, so that all sort of coming into line with the, you know, the rest of Australia, I think is advantageous for sure. Being your involvement with Educate Plus and being more inclined to interface with the professional teachers or the, um, you know, the, the education facilitators, what would you say to them with this change, uh, you know, coming across the horizon? Uh, they should have already done preparation because it is here, yeah. but right now what should they be doing going into 2020? Oh, <laughs> I guess because, uh, you know, over a dozen years ago, me stepping out of the classroom mm. setting, um, whilst obviously, you know, immersing myself in the heartbeat of a college, that's that's very much part of it. I, I think my focus just for the last dozen years or so has been so much more on the community side and, and the fundraising and philanthropy side to be able to deliver what, what the principal 
um, you know, his vision or her vision as to where they want the place to be. Um, so uh, I, I've really st- stayed out of um, the nitty-gritty sort of preparations in just speaking to obviously a few staff uh, here at the college as they sort of look to the mm. Christmas holidays. I know um, that there's a few sort of saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm still going over programs and, and, you know, the new programs that I'm wanting to tweak and, and all the rest. Um, so I, I think it's just across the board a uh, little bit of nervousness, um, no matter how much preparation you've done. Uh, as I said, I've been up here for six and a half years and uh, for years at my previous schools I've been hearing about the, the, the preparation starting and, and everything that's gone into it. So um, uh, I think uh, it's, pardon the pun, going to be a learning curve um, <laughs> yeah. for, for, for everybody. Um, but, yeah, again, the staff are all in the same boat too. Uh, so it's really up to the leadership as far as um, putting in place, uh, you know, requirements and setting clear expectations. We're um, incredibly fortunate here. Paul Brown, our headmaster who's been with us for two years, um, was previously uh, in Sydney. Um, so he's got that um, go. background um, as well. And. Um, um, uh, Peter Franks, uh, one of the deputy headmasters here, also um, comes from Sydney and has that background. So uh, he's able to, you know, put his input uh, into everything as well. So, um, but uh, yeah, all I can say is yet again, we're all in the same boat. Um, and uh, one thing with age that uh, you come to realise is that the sun will still rise uh, after uh, the system comes in. And then really it's about continual improvement. You mentioned community engagement. In fact, you've mentioned it a couple of times. How important <laughs> is it for a school to undertake true, deep community engagement? Look, the bottom line is that with, with government funding, um, uh, you know, forever in the spotlight and never yep. assured, um, the, the costs of providing an education, uh, let alone a leading education, are unceasing. And uh, certainly every board that I've worked with uh, works incredibly hard to keep the fee rises to a minimum. So uh, the thing that uh, bridges the gap between uh, the vision um, and reality is really philanthropy. Uh, so that all comes back to the community. Um, it does still surprise me every now and then someone will suggest to me that, you know, we should just write a grant application to the Gates Foundation. Um, <laughs> and I sort of say, no, look, let me tell you that um, it's all about relationship and it's all about the people who have some sort of connection with this place. And um, it, it surprises me when, when people sort of say, oh, you can't go back and, and ask people that have donated before. And in my experience, they're the ones that have the real heart. So coming up with this idea that, you know, I'm not saying constantly, you know, barrage them with requests, yeah. um, but um, just going back to those people because they've shown you that they have a heart, that they're invested in your vision. Um, the other thing too is uh, misconception is that it's the alumni that always give big um, and it's the alumni that, um, are, you know, are the ones that give regularly, not current parents. It's not in my experience. Right. It is the current parents yep. that are your your largest um, uh, body of donors, stakeholder group. Um, they've got a vested interest uh, in seeing these things happen uh, while, while their children are there or purely philanthropically, say, towards the bursary program to, to really leave a legacy and enable students to attend who, without financial assistance, wouldn't be able to. Um, but it's the alumni that when you actually um, gently make it clear exactly what level of support is there because they presume that, oh, every other old boy's giving a big gift, yeah. they don't need mine. 
Um, and across all the schools I've worked in, boys and girls, um, single-sex schools, that's been the case. So once you wake up the sleeping giant to that, thank you for this level of support from this number of donors, they're usually quite shocked. And then when you're clear with your case for support, this is what we'd really like to your help to achieve, that's when they do come to the fore. If they feel engaged, you know, if the only time you're speaking to them is to ask for money, then you're already, you know, shot yourself in the foot. Um, so genuine community engagement is, like I said, the friend raising. Yeah. Um, and it's the genuine care. And then when you work out what your needs are, having the courage to ask. And so from the engagement perspective, what are some of the practical things you can do as a school to really start engaging? And, and maybe if we can break that into two parts, but the alumni, but also the parents that are coming into the school system. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I always look at um, nurturing a culture of philanthropy along the lines of um, short, medium and long-term programs. Um, so short-term is your sort of annual giving, your hopefully lots of little one-off gifts, sort of like the, the leaves in a tree. And then um, campaigns have pledges, so people might pledge X amount over Y number of years. So they're sort of like um, uh, the, the, the tree rings. Um, and then you've got bequests or legacy gifts, gifts through wills. And they're like the roots, um, some very large yeah, and right. some very small, but they're really securing the, the financial firepower of, of the school into the future. So um, basically just making sure that you have programs um, where there's those little one-off gifts that are banked straight away, you've got the pledges um, coming in in the medium term and then you've got some people that very delicate area of philanthropy, but you've got some people that have felt comfortable enough to actually let you know that um, they have wishes regarding a legacy gift. Uh, so you know that that's coming in at some point in the future. So um, depending on the short, medium or long term um, is where you create programs to engage with different stakeholder groups. Um, so for example, a school um, like ours might have 200 um, new parents coming into the, the school every year. So part of our role in community engagement um, is in letting them settle into the school and, and get to know the heartbeat of the school a little bit and then sort of saying, um, okay, we'd like to uh, invite you to this very casual social type event where we will explain the role of the foundation. You won't be asked to make a gift on the night, um, but we'll have some information for you to take away and consider. And then that's how you get people considering um, making pledges, say, while, while their children, child or children are at the school. Um, we just recently ran a giving day. So that's a 24-hour. We had um, matches. So they're all of your little leaves on the tree. Yeah. Um, and shortly um, we'll be um, developing our bequest program. So um, it's very much just uh, seeing it in the very big picture it's, it's not about this. And unfortunately, um, the school I was uh, at in Sydney, years ago when it was their centenary, at that time, I mean, this was in the 1960s. Yeah, right. The, the common um, approach was you got in uh, an American firm ah. to run a campaign. Yep. And um, so they, they came in and they ran it and it was to build a, a school hall. They didn't have a school hall in the 1960s. They um, ran it. It was... I was going to say successful, but what I'll say is it achieved the, the goal of that they built a hall. It burnt that community off philanthropy for 50 years and the next campaign I led for their 150th, so their sesquicentenary, because oh, wow. the community was so burnt by 
And what was it that burnt them? Was it the, the attitude after the money was raised? What, what really burnt that community? No, it was that um, they came in with, uh, first of all, obviously it was outsourced. Yeah. So, and they just came in with a plan and that was that uh, all of the board members and all of the foundation board members and uh, other people in the community that were well connected and, and yep. known um, that said they wanted to help were basically given this approach where um, they were given cards apparently at the time uh, with people's names on them that they had researched and the amount that they had decided that these people could afford to give and they were told to go and visit them within a certain time frame and that they were not to leave the house until they had uh, a commitment signed. Um, And there there were some incredibly prominent Australians, it was a boys' school, um, uh, that, you know, one in particular who had a knighthood and everything uh, said to me, Lee, I have never been so nervous and never been so embarrassed in my life because obviously they had worked out who his friends and old boy mates were. They'd backgrounded him, yeah. All of that. And it it was just the most uh, awful experience for everybody. And and I quite uh, regularly say that I believe that philanthropy should be an enjoyable experience for everybody, including me. Yeah. And the last thing I want to do is bother or harass anybody. Um, So uh, I figure that when we ask people to consider support in whatever setting, they're only ever going to say yes, no or maybe. Yeah. There's no surprise outside of that. (laughs) So when I'm speaking to people, I'm just actually listening for what I call traffic lights. I'm listening for, you know, hopefully a clear green. Um, If not, I just want a clear red or a clear orange. And what I mean by that is, um, no, we've decided that we're going to support X, Y and Z and that's where our donations are going. Fine. Or they'll say, look, we've just established a new business or we're building a new house, but we really want to look at this. So can you please call me back in six months? Which you do. That's a clear, yeah, <laughs> that's a clear orange. Um, so it's just about being clear and I respect that. Yeah. You mentioned earlier the heartbeat, like the parents coming in and, and uh, becoming connected to the heartbeat. And I guess actually becoming a part of that heartbeat, does that mean that not only do you have community engagement from the perspective to achieve, you know, financial obligations and outcomes that you want to, but mm-hmm. you actually end up with a stronger school community too. Oh, absolutely. So I guess the other end of the spectrum there are the programs that um, you put in place with your old boys um, or old girls. Um, and uh, so, for example, we've just decided on a new approach to um, our young old boys. Um, I, I like to refer to them as Bobs, our baby old boys. Oh, cool. Um, and so they're, they're five years out or less. And um, we want that to be relational. So unfortunately, in so many schools um, or educational um, institutions, the first time that uh, alumni uh, hear from the place is to ask for money. Um, and so yeah. it's it's very sort of, um, uh, you know, one way. So what we're doing is putting in place some, some events, some events that are free, some that are very low cost, some that are discounted because they're a young old boy, um, to say we really want you to stay connected. Um, and, you know, if you float off, obviously that's fine. We want you to always feel that you can sort of come back home. Um, but that it's a relationship and it's two ways and it's not just about money. So um, we say, well, 
well, you know, we want to provide you with um, free magazines, however you want them. We want to provide you with the opportunity to come to these events, um, to have a mentor, that sort of thing. And we'd like you to consider, say, uh, coaching a, a team or coming and speaking at careers night about that it's not that scary starting uni <laughs> or um, it's okay if you change degree halfway through and um, all of that sort of thing. So... So it's the engagement. Obviously, is not just for the philanthropy. Um, I honestly, well, I know that if you do your friend raising correctly and you engage with the community correctly, um, the philanthropy will look after itself, one way or another, wow. in the short, medium, or long term. Big, large, you know, big or small, or anything in the middle, um, and even people that I can honestly say that I've had say to me in the past that, you know, they just give of their time and they, they give of their talent and, you know, that they're, you know, not going to donate. And then at some point down the track, um, oh, Lee, I'd like to have a chat to you about, you know, something I'm thinking about regarding the bursary program or something. So you, it's just planting seeds. You don't know which ones are going to grow and that sort of thing, but you do it um, openly because it's the right thing to do. And as I said, the philanthropy side will look after itself. How do you, in a tasteful way, for somebody that's been philanthropic, they've gone and put a lot of money into something now, if that turns into a building, it makes sense. You can put a plaque on the building or what have you. But when you get into bursary, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily that easy. How do you recognise that person or the group of people in a tasteful way? Yeah, so interestingly, the whole naming rights um, yeah. is, a, is a whole policy issue and um, obviously each organisation needs to work out what, what suits them and their culture. Um, but uh, generally speaking, uh, buildings, in the old days, I think buildings and names on buildings uh, was were a lot more sort of common and, and yeah. people had a heart for them. Now um, in society, particularly with old boys, unless they're a builder, developer, architect, that type thing, um, for we're talking obviously about the larger end of the scale gifts. The idea of um, it, it's like the whole thing of uh, planting a tree, you know, as a legacy. Um, people like the idea much more of uh, having a name on a bursary. So might be 100% bursary, could be 75%, 50 25%, but just sort of knowing um, that um, when they're gone, there will be that continual um, person being educated thanks to their generosity uh, seems to uh, really... Um, resonate with a lot more people. Um, the first couple of giving days that I ran in my career were actually all around bursaries. Yeah. Um, and they were only... First year was only out to the old boys and um, it went absolutely ballistic. Um, that's another whole story. Um, because these 24-hour online giving days um, are the uber disruptor of annual giving. You know, we've all received, the, you know, mail out and maybe a card in the school magazine yeah. and here's the return envelope and yeah. you send them out and hope and pray that people remember to send them back by 30 June. Um, yeah, these giving days are that uber disruptor. Um but, uh, yeah, I hope that's... You've actually headed in a direction where my next question was <laughs> going, which was, you know, with, with giving, how has that changed? Because you go back 15, 20 years ago, it was always a cheque. Yep. Uh, you know, a cheque got written out. But how have you seen that change over the time? Where do you think it's headed? Because you just mentioned Uber. Yeah. Uber's been a huge disruptor in transport. <laughs> yeah. um, what, what happens with, with this sort of things? 
Yeah, well, I think um, definitely one of the things that most educational institutions are very keen to do is mm. to engage with their young alumni. And it's always yep. been this in incredibly difficult um, space. And I think a lot of places just sort of gave up and said, oh, they're too young to give. Um, maybe when they've been out for 20 years and they've got a son that they're trying to get into the school, <laughs> they might start giving. And unfortunately, that is quite a common, <laughs> yeah. quite a common thing um, because they will, will, will think that that will help possibly get their, their child um, into the school. Different schools have different policies on that. Um, but um, what I found with these online giving days and in looking into the research is that, um, first of all, Part of the reason it's so successful is because it gamifies giving. Awesome, yeah. It gamifies giving. It's um, So instant reward. It's instant reward. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't believe the statistics um, when we did um, our first uh, – the first two giving days that I ran. Um, the engagement with the five years out and ten years out was completely off the Richter compared to anything in the years before. And um, basically in looking into uh, the reasons behind it that, that I can see um, is that – they're wanting to, yeah, have that immediate reward. I guess no surprise there. The fact that the gift is matched in some way, that the leveraging of their gift, they, they know it's a small gift, but they like the idea that someone else who's got more money has got more skin in the game. Yeah. And um, they particularly like the idea of, well, if this matcher has said they're willing to match up to, you know, um, one gift um, matcher I had at one point was $50,000. That individual was willing to go up to $50,000 from any number of donors. And um, so, yeah, if, 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 if he's willing to do $50,000, let us max him out because <laughs> my 10 bucks means awesome his attitude. 10 bucks. <laughs> um, because, yeah, again, they want to know that uh, their, their $10 is being, um, you know, brought together to make a real difference. Difference and, and a real impact. Um, whereas I think in the old days, you know, even when everybody was using checks or uh, or having to pick up the phone and yeah. ring and all this sort of stuff, they just sort of, you know, the young guys and girls just weren't doing it. Yeah. If we can just bring it back to uh, education from a broad sense for, mm -hmm. a, for a moment, but um, you mentioned like legacy and people wanting to know that, uh, you know, when they contribute money that they are contributing maybe to a, a better educated society. How important in your view mm -hmm. is it that when we look at investments on, on a countrywide scale, yeah. uh, when we look at building bridges and roads and all of that sort of stuff, how does that stack up when you come to importance up against education? You mean from all of the options that, that donors... For the future of the country, funds? yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, well... I guess I'll I'll take it back to um, I was educated through the state system myself, yep. and I've only ever taught and worked in in the private system, and so obviously when I moved over to working in philanthropy for private schools, and I've worked in quite a few leading schools um, in Queensland and New South Wales, there's always that sort of question from some that say, oh, you know, why should we support um, you know an institution that's old and already has money and, and assets and all the rest. There's so many other worthy causes. And to cut a long story short, I tend to sort of say, well, um, these are the, uh, the think tanks 
that that produce so many people that go out and, um, for example, at my previous school, um, some boys who got a passion for um, serving the homeless started a, a little organisation called Orange Sky that you might uh, have yes. heard of. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so had those boys not gone to that school and been um, involved with their mm. house charity, which was um, feeding the homeless, um, that idea may not have been triggered. So I guess my point is that at the end of the day, uh, none of us except Bill Gates is Bill Gates. Um, <laughs> and so we can't support everything that is a, a good and worthy cause. Uh, so we, we have to decide um, where our heart is at, at that point. So um, if it's, if it's uh, towards a particular architectural um, thing, if it's towards, um, you know, a, a boy being able to attend a school and get opportunities that otherwise he never would, would yeah. um, and then go off and be, uh, you know, a heart surgeon or something. I think we've probably all seen that little video on YouTube where um, the, uh, the, the the person uh, helps this little boy who grows up to be a, a cardiologist or something yeah. and then that's who operates on him in the future. It's that sort of thing. So I'm very much into um, I'm benefiting from the shade of trees planted by others. Now it's time for me to plant some trees. So whichever or orchid, uh, orchard or whichever forest floats your boat, support that. <laughs> I want to set you um, a challenge without any notice now <laughs> because we've been talking about alumni, we've been talking about fundraising but... What about if there was a new school, it was going to open in 2020, so starting, it's not got any alumni, it's just been dropped and we are aware of there are schools that have been built all the time and maybe the, the brand of that school just does not have any connection to that local community. Where would you start? Wow, that really, <laughs> that really is. Um, to be honest, I think I'd start with... Well, first of all, uh, I'll take some liberties as well. So if that was a Catholic school or if it was an Anglican school or if it was a Jewish school or, what, you know, if it was a private school of some sort, I would literally look to tap into um, the communities of the other like-minded schools because there would be a lot of people in those communities who would love the idea of supporting a school like theirs is um, starting from scratch because it's just so needy compared to their own school. And if, if uh, you know, their existing school would be Well, they be also so get to be a foundation this and a foundation exactly. that too, don't they? Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, we all love to be part of seeing something, you know, start and that momentum and it grow. And so it's very, very satisfying. Um, if, if I were, a, you know, a state school or public school, as they call it down south, um, this is a huge area that still surprises me that, does not, has not been tapped into. Um, as I said, I went through the state system and um, I have actually reached out to my old school twice and said, look, you know, one time um, International Women's Day or something was coming up and yeah, right. yep. I'm, I grew up in a very multicultural part of Sydney and I sort of said, look, you know, International Women's Day is coming up. Uh, I no longer live in Sydney but I'd be more than happy to come down and, and, and speak about things um, and uh, yeah never even got back to me um, if they were to reach out to me and say uh, Lee we need some um, you know sporting equipment for something or other even if they didn't have the tax deductibility in, in place like yeah. um, older schools do um, you know we were wondering if you'd consider gifting you know X uh, towards this I would um, I think the Americans have got 
this this thinking, and this is very rare for me to say this, I lived in America <laughs> for a while and I understand the culture and they have a different tax system and all the rest, yeah. but what they understand is this, is that the school you go to is part of your personal brand and what nobody wants to hear is, uh, which school did you go to? Blah, blah. Oh, that used to be such a good school. Yeah, yeah. Because it's part of who you are, you have a, a responsibility to at least make sure it doesn't go backwards. Um, whether you send your children there or not, it's a part of who you are. Um, so I know that doesn't really answer your question as far as state schools um, because I think that's that's difficult. But I guess I'd probably look at, well, who are the sort of state school educated people in this area that have gone on to do really well. And, you know, success breeds success. If you get at least just one, you know, well-known, and I'm not talking about, uh, you know, somebody who went off to become Prime Minister or something, um, but even just somebody who's known to be a, a well-respected, you know, business person in the area um, to sort of say, hey, I went through the state system and um, I'm going to be a, a foundational uh, supporter of this new school. Um, yeah, it gets the ball rolling and that's what it's about. And it's coming all the way back to really where you started. It's about engagement, isn't yeah, it? Engagement, absolutely. engagement and engagement. Yeah. At the future, where do you see um, schools... Probably, like, we've talked about the fundraising and how that's um, been changing. We've mm -hmm. talked about the heartbeat and the, and the way that that's um, probably been changing as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, do you think that Australia is going to remain or even improve in its funding for schools from the government or do you think that they're going to need to continue to, to look for philanthropic avenues and maybe even more so? Um, I definitely think that um, there will be more of a, a looking to philanthropic support um, and I guess this is another thing. The, the Americans, and it took me a while to work this out, so they have zero funding, even till today, not a lot of people know this. Private schools wow. in America have zero public funding. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's surprising, isn't it? And um, so when it comes to donations to schools over there or, or to anywhere, they they see it as that their um, philanthropic dollar is like a vote for this organisation deserves to survive or, or flourish. Um, so I do sort of think that um, the Australian government seems to be sort of saying, well, you know, it's your choice to send your child to uh, whichever school uh, you choose to. You can send them over here for free or ne next to free or you can choose to send them over there. Um, but, you know, they know that every child that goes to a private school really does reduce quite considerably um, resources being drained from the government. So um, I'm not sure overall if they're going to increase funding to, to schools, um, but uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see uh, how much of a noise um, parents who are taxpayers yeah. actually make yeah. to say, hey, we know that you're saving a lot of money by us choosing to um, have our children not put pressure on the state system. There's been conversations where... Uh, PNFs or PNCs, depending on whether you're state or you're, yes. you're private and all of that sort of stuff, yeah. um, where uh, the parents, they, they used to really, just to get grass on the soccer field, they would do the sausage sizzles, they would come together, they'd even do car washes. It was fundraising, 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 but it really brought that community together. And then they've found that that school has got to a point where uh, it's got the grass on the soccer field, it's got this build, it's got that build, it's become quite established. And then the other funding and the fees has has put the school, say, in a comfortable position. In your view, is that a, is, is that a good thing, uh, maybe from the perspective of the heartbeat of the school? 
Uh, because what we've seen is that those parents then aren't engaged from that perspective and sometimes that's what they feel like they have to give. Should a school that at, at any time go, um, we don't really want a PNC or a PNF to do fundraising or is that actually a really good thing? It gives some purpose. My answer to that would be that uh, if that school or institution has a foundation that is playing the role that it needs to play, then it should be taking the pressure off the support groups or a PN, um, PNF uh, to feel the need and sometimes the pressure to have to fundraise. Um, and uh, I was speaking to our uh, director of rowing recently and the president of um, the rowing support group, um, and I was speaking to them about the Australian Sports Foundation and um, so that, you know, uh, if they were wanting to have a new boat, um, you know, not the cheapest sports equipment, yeah. um, that uh, there's ways in the past that I've helped support groups raise funds tax deductibly. Um, and it, at one of my previous schools, the president said to me, thank you so much. It's taken the pressure off. Every single time you turned up to the boat shed, it was buy a raffle ticket, buy a raffle ticket. Oh, we're having another fundraising night. There's auctions, there's this, there's that. Um, and it meant that the parents had time to actually just talk and engage. And that's where real relationships uh, are made. So, yes, we want them to still be here and be involved and, you know, help cook breakfast for the boys when they come back and, and all of those wonderful community builders that if we had to pay people to do all of those things, our school fees would be yeah, absolutely couldn't. through the roof. Um, and, you know, that it doesn't build community to just outsource things and pay for them. So, but, uh, yeah, if a foundation is working the way that really it, it should be working, it takes the pressure off fundraising and so that old boys and parents don't feel like every time they step foot in the place or they go to an event, it's all about fundraising. So you can see that, yeah, the, the friendraising and, and the fundraising, it's sort of like a yin and a yang and there's a lot of grey in, in the middle. Um, and, yeah, that's where the bonds are made. The final question for a decision maker in a school listening to this, why would they sign up to Educate Plus in 2020? Because it will save them a lot of time and energy and effort and staff turnover through burnout. Yeah, right. Can you talk about that a little bit more? <laughs> I said last question, but that, that's the second last question. This is the last one. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's really interesting, yeah. So I'll go back to my um, uh, analogy with, you know, as a teacher mm. in the maths department, uh, you've yeah. got your department, you've got your tribe and you've got your head of maths and all the rest. Um, for people working these roles, as I said, sometimes there's one person, maybe two, and they're spread across a number of roles. Um, so Educate Plus very much provides uh, that, that network so that people don't feel alone and they don't feel like they have to you start from scratch with everything. When people just feel like they're just constantly chasing um, their tail and never really achieving things because they never have the time to, um, then that's when people just, yeah, burn out and, and give up and move on. So um, that's what I would say to, yeah, decision makers about um, being involved with this. Another very important part for them too is that... Um, Every two years we do a member-wide. We have about 2,200 members and across Australia and New Zealand. We do a member survey and uh, it comes back and uh, it's very well uh, received and participated in because people, it breaks it down by in the different roles, the different genders, the different levels of education and the different levels of experience within each chapter 
and then within each segment. So the Catholic sector, um, the public sector, um, the independent private sector, um, even down to what the pay averages are. Yeah, so right. I get principals, for example, saying to me, I really don't know what we should be paying for this new alumni slash marketing coordinator. And I say, look, I'll send you... Um, the data. I'll send you the data. Um, and so then they're not sort of moving in the dark. Each week we send out a careers notice board um, to all of our members. So that is quite cheap, a lot cheaper than advertising in many other places. And that's where we, the, the practitioners as we're called, um, look when we're looking to, to move and that's where principals look to get people who have got experience in these fields. <laughs> Lee Walker-Franks, thank you very much for your time with our listeners. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>